Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. So Proverbs chapter 3, some of you might have this memorized, in which case you don't have to turn there. Uh, it's a pretty popular, at least the last part of this verse is very popular. So Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to talk about trusting in God. We're going to talk about the favor of the Lord. And this verse has those things. So it says this, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 says, in my version, it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor. Everybody say favor. You will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust the Lord. You know this verse? With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge, or my version says, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, so humbly we we come before you and, and we know that many of us have favor, your favor upon us. Lord, we were so grateful to live in a country where, where we do have freedoms, where we celebrate this weekend as uh, memoring the, the soldiers who have fallen to give us free freedoms, and your favor rests upon us individually and corporately. Lord, we're so grateful, so thankful for that. Lord, we trust in you with all of our heart, and we know that you will make the path straight of our lives. Father, we love you. We praise your holy name. You're a good God. And everybody screamed... Amen. So let me tell you a story. This story is, uh, has really nothing to do with the book of Esther, but in some ways, in, at least in my mind, it has parallels. Because in the book of Esther, there are many, many miracles. So in the book of Esther, there's not like one miracle that's like, wow, this is awesome. This is the hand of God. But there are lots of, there are many many or smaller miracles that end up being like, you look at the book of Esther. How many of you have been here all three? We've done three weeks so far of the book of Esther. Lots of hands. So you know that this story, there's lots of Esther is about to die. Mordecai is about to die. All the Jewish people about to die. All their stuff is about to get plundered. And none of that happens after one miracle or mini miracle after another. And I, this story is my own story. This, this dates back to a mission trip. Here's the mission team. You might recognize some of these people. This is 10 years ago. This is 2005. The mill went to Nepal. Anybody been to Nepal? Not a hand? No. Um, it's in the news a lot now because of all the earthquakes, and I have a lot of friends there. But in 05, we went on this mission trip that ended up being the hardest, maybe in some ways the best mission trip, but definitely the hardest mission trip I had ever been on. And it was kind of the best because it was so hard, because we ran into all these walls, and God provided at all these different situations. Like, we hit a dead end. We were like, okay, we're stuck. And then the Lord provided with like a mini, a tiny miracle and I say tiny miracle because it's like, well, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, it's not like the resurrection of Jesus. It's not like uh, 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 someone was blind and now they can see. But it was something that was like, wow, we ran into a wall. There's no way around this. And then, and then God provided. And we're like, oh, we, this is awesome. So the mission trip was this. Uh, and then I'll get around to like explaining how this is kind of like the book of Esther. Um, but hopefully you could see uh, hints at that. So in 05, the mill went to Nepal, and it was about 15, 16 people, and there I am on the left, like second in. For some reason, I'm doing a funny face. It's like, 
what was I doing? You know, that was 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> give me a break. So anyways, our, the mission trip was that we were going to fly into this little, there was this little landing strip. We were going to get a flight into this tiny little region of Nepal that is only accessible by this landing strip and walking in. It was like 100 mile on one side, 70 mile on the other side, walk in. So there's these villages in the middle of nowhere. Like the only uh, way to get there normally is by hiking. And so like all the stuff that's brought in is brought in on people's backs, like these big baskets and people would bring in food and supplies to these villages and there's lots of people living up in the mountain regions in Nepal and so our goal was to take a plane land there and we had we had bibles written in their native language to give them which they probably didn't have otherwise we had other, we think the first ever worship cd christian worship cd in their language that our contact had done and so we're going to bring in these materials the the end end goal was that this was going to be kind of a scout trip for our missionary contact to plant a church and we were partnering with him. It was really cool. And he ended up doing that. So uh, 10 years later. So we, we had this all set up. We had these materials. We have everybody set. And then the landing strip gets closed. I, I don't know what happened exactly. Maybe it, a landslide, a mudslide. I have no idea. The, the landing strip is closed. It's like, great. We're going to go to Nepal and we're going to sit there for 10 days because there's, the landing strip is, is, is done. We can't fly in. And then this, so it's like we've hit a wall. And then it seemed like the Lord provided like this random Russian flight uh, helicopter, doesn't need a landing strip, was, was already going there. And we found out about it. And they somehow had enough seats exactly for us, for our team. And so we were able to fly in with all our materials. And so we get there, we land, we hand out the materials. We have a great time in these villages. And then it's like, okay, we, we, I mean, we knew this going in, but it's like, how in the world are we going to get out? And the hike out was, uh, you could look on a map, it's Hungday to Johnson. I think it's about 70 miles with a team that didn't really plan on hiking 70 miles. Um, and <laughs> in hindsight, it's like, why did we, do? like, I was the leader of this trip. And it's like, what were you thinking, bringing those people there? But uh, it all worked out. I mean, we're alive. So, so we're just like, okay, we got to get out. And what, so 70 miles, and it wasn't just hiking 70 miles, it was hiking over, Nepal has a lot of mountains. One of the passes was an 18,000 foot peak. Anybody ever been to the top of Pikes Peak? You get a headache, you know how dizzy 14,000 feet is? Well, imagine hiking, starting there and hiking 18,000 feet. So it's like, okay, what are we going to do? Some of the people, including myself, were not prepared physically for that. And so it's like, what are we going to do? And then the Lord provided. We met the mayor of the town, and it didn't look like the mayor. It looked like Bob Marley, so we called him Nepali Bob Marley, and he actually liked that name, so it stuck with him. And he had a bunch of horses and donkeys, and he rented us the horses and donkeys and went with us our whole trip. And so we got to, uh, we found out later that he was the mayor, and we were like, oh, here, this is awesome. This is exactly what we wanted to do because now our contact knows the mayor of the town. It's going to make it easier for him to plant a church. It's like, wow, cool. The Lord provided. And, but the cost of renting the horses and donkeys, that was beyond our budget. And we didn't really realize that as, the further you get in to these regions, the more expensive food is. It's like, well, duh, obviously it's all being carried in on people's backs. But we didn't really uh, budget for that. So I remember there were some meals where it's like, all right, everybody, we have bread. 
for your meal. And that's like, and we got like three eggs too. And that's all we had for some of these meals. And things were getting really tight. And then we remembered, oh, we have some emergency funds. We're like, oh, this sounds like an emergency. So we'll use up those emergency funds and we use them pretty quickly. And then like another mini miracle happened, whether it was either just by misjudging how much money was in the emergency funds or if it was a legitimate like loaves and fishes. But we had a certain hundred, a couple hundred dollars and that got used up really quickly because we used it for the horses and the donkeys and the food that was expensive. And then somehow, like, whether I miscalculated or the other leader miscalculated, there ended up being a, quite a few more hundred dollars in the emergency fund, which to us was just like a mini miracle of, like, God providing. And so we were able to have enough food, and we were able to get all our stuff on the donkeys and people on the horses out of there, 70 miles, 18,000-foot pass, and it all worked out. And it ended up being like one of these great trips where you look back and you see all those mini miracles, and you're like, wow, God provided. Of course, that was awesome. And each individual like mini miracle was like, well, that's, you know, that's just, it's cool that the Russian helicopter worked out. It's cool that there was extra money in the emergency fund. It's cool that uh, you met the mayor. It's cool that, you know, the, the horses thing worked out. But, but looking over the whole trip, it was like, wow, God provided. And so that comparison is somewhat like the book of Esther. And so hopefully I didn't rabbit trail us too much. But today we're going to look at the character of Esther and specifically all these mini miracles that happened to Esther throughout this book. I think I'm going to argue that clearly the, 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 the hand of the Lord was, was there doing miracles. And although God is not mentioned by name in the book of Esther, I think this is one more proof of why this book is in the Old Testament of just like, oh, clearly God is at work, all these miracles. And maybe you think in your own life, like you've never experienced a miracle, but maybe thinking back, you're like, I have stories like that where it's just like I ran into a wall, then a wall, then a wall, but the Lord helped you over each one. And looking at that particular story, you're like, of course, in hindsight, the Lord's hand was all over that. So that's what we're going to do today. So the book of Esther, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. So glad all of you are here. All your wonderful, smiling, beautiful faces. You guys look awesome. So thanks for being here. Uh, If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, we have you stand up and, and tell us your deep, deepest, darkest secret and your most embarrassing moment. And just kidding. Uh, if you want, you can fill out a card. Give us your information. If you want an email, I'll email you more about our college and 20-somethings ministry. I will call you if you want to call. There's a box that says, I would like a call. And I will, I will personally call you this week if you check that box. Uh, so don't prank me. Sometimes I say that and people prank me. And I'm like calling <laughs> Mickey Mouse and... <laughs> Hi, is uh, Mickey there? (laughs) Anyways, don't do that. Um, Please. (laughs) So turn to the book of Esther, and I highly encourage you to use your paper Bibles. I know that I am so tempted when I use my electronic Bible to check texts and check emails and watch kitten videos on YouTube, and then an hour goes by, and all you've done is watched kitten videos on YouTube the whole Sunday school. So don't let yourself be distracted. Turn to the book of Esther. Uh, anybody there? I see those hands. I see that hand. Good. Um, I don't have stickers or else I'd give you stickers. Do you you remember sword drills? Anybody grow up at Sunday school where you do a sword drill? It's like Esther chapter one, verse one, and you ever find things. Um, so that's kind of like this. If you're having trouble finding the book of Esther, it's really easy. Go to Psalms. Just open your Bible. It'll probably be in Psalms. Go a little earlier. It'll be in Job. Go one book earlier. That's the book of Esther. And today we're going to look at the character of Esther. So right now it's kind of an open book. You could look at the book of Esther. It's only uh, 10 chapters. And 
So who was this character? If you've been around for the last couple of weeks, you have some clues as to who Esther is, because we talked about King, we talked about the background of the book of Esther, last week we talked about Mordecai and Haman, but we have not yet talked about the character of Esther, however, we've been talking about her all along, um, indirectly. So your discussion question at your tables, open book, you could Google it, you could, whatever you need to do, um, you could, you could phone a friend, is just this. To get out a piece of paper, you could use the notes if you want to. Assign someone to be a scribe, just point to someone, and then, and then they're it. And then just list some descriptions of Esther's character in this book. So really, no wrong answers. I guess there could be wrong answers, but anyways, you know what to do. Ready, get set, discuss. All right. Um, maybe just yell out some answers in a, in a, in a, in a strategic way. I'll point to your table, and then you yell out something that uh, is a character description of Esther. This table. She's shrewd. She's favored. Courageous. Clever. This table. What? Patient. You guys? I wasn't pointing to you. I was pointing to them. What did you guys say? Loyal. Loyal. Good. Okay. What did you say? Merciful. Um, I, I, put, I think one of the greatest character descriptions of Esther that's said again and again throughout the book is that she is favored. Which, how many of you said favored? Just this table? That's it? Okay, that table. Anybody else? Okay, that table. Okay, maybe you were shy to say that she was favored. But she's very favored. Turn to the book of Esther, chapter 2, verse 15. At the end of this verse, um, it's, it's kind of saying how she became queen. And it says at the end of this verse that Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. I mean, she becomes the queen. Out of the, A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this process of King Xerxes, who we renamed to Xerxes because he's just a bad guy. Uh, and he, I mean, he pretty much, we, we talked about the negative context of what he does. He, he has these girls systematically spends one night with all these girls, potentially hundreds, potentially thousands of girls. We don't know how many, uh, but they were taken from all the regions of Persia and Persia was the largest ancient empire at the time. And so it could be tens of thousands of girls. We don't know. And Esther is chosen out of all of them to be queen. So highly favored. So she has a lot of power. She has a lot of favor. And with a lot of power comes a lot of... (laughs) That's a Spider-Man quote. (laughs) Yay. It's... uh, Who wrote Spider-Man? Stan? Stan Lee. Um, And who is it that says that to Spider-Man? Uncle Ben. You guys know this way too much. Um, but, But supposedly this is not a quote from Spider-Man. It is a quote from Spider-Man, but Spider-Man is borrowing it from Voltaire, says it directly. So he's this French philosopher. Is he French? He's a philosopher. Uh, I know that. He, we kind of take it from him. But ultimately, uh, going back to the days of the first century, you know, Jesus says something pretty similar. If you want to look at it, it's Luke twelve forty-eight. Jesus says it like this. He says, uh, and from all, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So it's not the direct translation that uh, Spider-Man in the comics and then in the movies uh, becomes so famous for us, but Jesus ultimately should get the credit for this type of quote that just says, 
well, those that have been entrusted with much, those that have been given a lot of favor, well, they're going to be required more. And corporately, we have been given a lot. I was, I was, the prayer this morning was that we were thanking um, those that have gone before us. And this weekend is a time where our nation, like we commemorate, we remember those that have died for the freedoms that we have. We are now favored as Americans with freedom. I mean, we can gather, we can worship our Lord, Yahweh, Jesus. We could worship him because of the freedoms we have. Other places in the world, you know, that that's not possible to, to do so like we have the freedoms to do so. So we are favored. Some of us in this room are favored for, for different things. I'm thinking of like Aaron Higgins. He's favored with knowledge. Victoria, she's favored with just like bringing people together. Malcolm, he's favored with just coolness. Um, <laughs> Ellie Smith, she's wherever she is. She's favored with like loyal. She's being loyal. Michael Riviera, I was thinking about you this morning. Where's Michael? Uh, he's, there he is. He's, I was just saying, he is, he, he's the first one at Sunday school every week. He's just very uh, loyal and dependable as a guy. So some of us have uh, things that we're, we're favored with, gifts and talents. I was thinking of like Gabriel in the tech booth to embarrass him. He's like detail-oriented. He does all the scheduling for our tech and our coffee teams. And it's like these are gifts that some of us have. These are favors from the Lord. And with some of us uh, that have been given favor, well, then much more is to be required. Jesus says it again like this. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And so it's like, okay, Esther is in this season of being very favored. And so turn to the book of Esther chapter 4. And here's the, how the story plays out for Esther. And so it's kind of a, uh, for some of us, it's like, okay, yeah, we've been favored. We have gifts of the Lord, and some of us more than others, some of us different. But to those that have been trusted much, much will be required. Um, and so let's, let's just read and get into this story. So chapter 4, verse 1 says that when Mordecai, and if you don't know, if you haven't been coming, then we, you don't know that Mordecai is Esther's parental figure uh, that took care of Esther, kind of a father figure to her. Uh, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, well, what did he learn? Well, if you don't know the story, well, he learned that Haman, this bad guy, is set out to kill all the Jews. Which of the Jews? Like all, and it even says like women, children, uh, dads, my, it says all of them. Like in all of Persia, this largest of the ancient kingdoms, every Jew to be killed. Um, that, that's a lot of killing. Mordecai tears his clothes, put on, puts on sackcloth and ashes, and went into the city wailing loudly and bitterly, a sign of completely being broken and humiliated, that rip, ripping your clothes, wearing sackcloth, ashes, a clear sign to everyone that you are weeping. Which I was thinking, like, that's kind of weird um, to do that, but maybe, like, a healthy part of culture. If that was a part of our culture, I mean, our American culture— you know, when someone's crying, usually the general reaction is, you know, pat them on the shoulder and like, all right, suck it up, be a man, stop crying. Whereas, like someone who's truly grieving, that might be the worst thing to say to them. Brady and, and Big Church, if you go over to the 11 o'clock service, I know that Brady's preaching about grieving today and doing so in a healthy manner. And, and maybe if our culture had something to show, you know, the world that you're grieving, you're being humbled, you are under grief, that might be a good thing. But, uh, you know, it's... it's pretty hard to change a culture. But anyways, just my two cents. Um, verse two says he went out as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. Uh, verse three says in every providence to which the edict and order of the king came, what edict? 
with the edict that all the Jews are going to die. Uh, there was great mourning among the Jews. Well, no kidding. With fasting and weeping and wailing and many laid in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and females attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. Like, what's going on? Why is Mordecai uh, in this grief state? She sent clothes for him to put on instead of the sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Sounds, makes sense. Um, Esther doesn't really know what's going on. He's like, send this guy some clothes. He doesn't put them on. Verse 5 says, Then Esther summoned Haddock, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai. It's like, figure out what, what in the world is going on. Why is my, my uh, guardian, my, my dad, uh, it's not really her dad, but why is this person that she looks up to, why is he in so much grieving? So Haddock went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened, including the exact money that Haman proposed or promised to pay to the royal treasury for the destruction of, of the Jews. He gave him a copy of the text of the edict which, uh, for the annihilation, which had been pl- published in Susa to show Esther and explain to her. Uh, and he told him to instruct her, go into the king's presence and beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So Esther is asked to do something. It's like, here's the edict. What does this say? It says that all the Jews are going to die all in Persia. Go to the king. We need your help. And so do you guys get asked for help a lot? You probably do. So here's a quick little rabbit trail, um, because we do rabbit trails sometimes in Sunday school and alert you to said rabbit trail. Um, I get asked for help all the time. Um, And sometimes it's just as simple as, hey, can you repost this? On your Facebook wall, hey, can you donate to this cause? Can you uh, retweet this and get awareness out? Can you come to this awareness seminar? Can you come to this awareness conference? Can you join us at this fundraising dinner? Now that I've said some of those things, are you guys all in the same boat? Like, people are always asking for something, right? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Like, people, they ask us for stuff. There's a lot of things. Because we are so aware uh, with social media and newspapers and online, and we open up, we have access on our phones to just people emailing us and asking us for, you know, and some of these things are really important. Like, let's do something about the earthquake that just happened in Nepal. Let's do something about ISIS. Let's do something about uh, some of the local charities. Let's do something about Mary's home. Let's do some. There's lots and lots of things we can do. So we're going to rabbit trail and then re take the steps of the rabbit trail in just a second. But sometimes what we do as Americans, I know I have been guilty of this, is like, oh, there's a cause. I kind of believe in the cause, or at least I believe in the person asking me personally. And so I will give them some money. And we as Americans, that's what we usually do as Americans. Like we like to give, I don't know that we like to give, but we, we, that's what we do to help people. We will send money their way. The Red Cross is asking for some money because of a disaster. Sure. Yeah. I'll text this number. I'll give some money. And then money goes over to help people. But sometimes that helping hurts. And there's a book about that, which I've been really influenced by lately. I went on a mission trip. I don't know if the Foley's are here. I would point them out just to honor them. Uh, But I went on a trip with Dr. Steve and Dr. Diane Foley to Haiti. And before the trip, we read this book as a team. And I was like, why doesn't every mission team read this book? It's, It's awesome. It's beautiful. Because sometimes our helping can hurt. When we send money for projects, and then that money is either abused or that money goes to what we think is going to be used for, but in a long term, it ends up hurting. That's not good. So to, to kind of put some wheels on this rabbit trail, 
Uh, for instance, in Haiti, I found out that the earthquake that happened, when was that, 2010? A big earthquake leveled cities. There was one city that, that uh, Steve and Diane know about where a hospital came in, like a foreign hospital, all this money, all this aid came in, and that was like the best thing this town needed. They, they, they put back broken bones, they stitched people up, the, the city was devastated, and hundreds, thousands of people were in dire need of medical care. And, and so this is like great, wonderful. But then the hospital stuck around for months, and those months turned into years, and this, this foreign aid hospital was doing great things, right? Like, wow, they're taking care of people, and they were doing so for free for years and years and years. And here it is about 10 years after the earthquake, and this hospital is still around taking care of people for free. And you're like, wow, that's great, right? Great, wonderful, you're taking care of people. But what ended up happening long-term is that because they were giving free care, all the local Haitian doctors, nurses, medical support, uh, all, the, all, the, uh, all the people that do medical stuff, well, they had to go elsewhere. They either went elsewhere or changed careers because how can you compete with free medical care? And then all, one day... Uh, as far as I know, this story is pretty sudden. The money for this foreign hospital runs out. I mean, the money doesn't last forever. Even a lot of money raised for an earthquake will eventually run out. So when this, I think it was somewhere like eight to ten years down the road, at least if my, my story is correct, uh, the hospital just stops. They're like, they're going to close doors. They're done. And then what happens to this town? Well, now there's no hospitals. There's no infrastructure for any medical teams. There's no nurses. There's no doctors. There's no support. What happens to those people? Well, now they're kind of worse off than they were if this, if this hospital potentially was never there. And, and, and it's like, well, that's kind of mean to say. But, but this book looks at some of those studies and says, well, maybe long term, sometimes when we go in with these great attitudes of just throwing money at, at situations, what ends up happening is helping actually hurts. So anyways, that rabbit trail is over. And going back to, well, what does Mordecai and what do Esther do? Well, they do something that doesn't hurt anybody. And they do something that we often, as Christians, we say, oh, we'll pray for you. And, and if we do, well, then that's actually doing something. That's doing something quite large. If we fast and we pray, that's what Mordecai, that's what Esther does. Uh, they do when they find out about this. This is something. So if ever your people are asking you for your help and you're like, I don't know, I just... I don't, I don't know if the, the helping might hurt in this situation. Well, fast and pray. And that is never a bad thing to do. That is doing something. So just a, a kind of getting back to the rabbit trail of where we were. So getting back to Esther chapter 4, verse 9. I'll explain what this picture is in a second. So verse 9 says this. Haddock went back to report to Esther what Mordecai had said. He's like, well, what did he say? Well, all the Jews are about to die. And then skipping ahead to, uh, say, verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. So Esther pretty much says, um, uh, uh, do you realize what you're asking? Do you not think that because you were a Jew, so maybe I should trace back for a second. Esther, so Esther hears what Mordecai is, what's going on. Esther says, Hi, you know, do you realize what you're asking me? Because anyone who approaches the king will die unless the king extends this golden little is it a wand? Is it a scepter? I don't know. Um, so he's, he's got this Harry Potter wand thing that's gold. And if he doesn't extend it to you, then you are dead. So you don't just come up to the king and say, hey, what's up, king? Because if he didn't ask for you, you're probably dead. 
Uh, and, more, and, and Esther says, it's been 30 days since he, she has gone to the king, which is like, what kind of marriage was that? If, it's like, you haven't seen the guy in 30 days? And if just to see him, you might be killed if he doesn't wave his wand. Like, this guy is a jerk. Uh, this guy is an idiot. Um, so anyways, Esther sends back this word. It says, Don't you real, do you realize what you're asking me? In verse 12, it says, When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. This answer, probably the most famous lines in the book. So this, this note that Haddock gives to uh, Esther from Mordecai to Esther, saying this, Do you not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance from the Jews will arise from another place, another indirect reference to God, Yahweh. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? Here's the line. But you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And we'll, we'll save that phrase for next week. Uh, Amy Perkins is going to be here talking specifically about for such a time as this. And it is well worth its own Sunday. But here's the note. Maybe something like this. Mordecai sends to Esther. Esther sends back another note. Lots of note passing here. Verse 16 says, uh, this is the note going back to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink anything for three days, nights. Uh, for three days and nights, which is a very hard fast, by the way, if you're not going to... The Esther fast is to fast no food, no water for three days. That's a very hard fast. So, so pray. Fast. It doesn't say pray, but you could, one could assume. Like, when you fast, you pray uh, for this situation. And then Esther says this, uh, When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Which is, the, on, on your notes, uh, what the sweet quote of the day is from Esther. If I perish, I pe- perish. So, one, very brave. Did anyone list er, Esther's characteristics of bravery? Nobody? Okay, a couple tables did. Lots of tables did. Good. So, the, the, so Esther is tempted to do nothing. She, you know, Mordecai says, we need your help. Esther says, I don't know. Don't you know that I, that I haven't even been to the king in 30 days, and if I go, I might die. So she is tempted to do nothing, which is the other side of that rabbit trail. Like, oh, we could be so... Um, if you really get into the world of like when helping hurts, and you're like, oh, we shouldn't do this because it might end up hurting... Well, then you're, there's this temptation to do nothing, nothing whatsoever, to see a need and just be like, eh, just be, be hardened. And that's, that's the other side. And that's another uh, extreme to the, to the side of like, oh, I don't want to help because helping might hurt. Well, then you're tempted to do nothing. And that's another great temptation. Esther is tempted to do nothing and just let the situation work out for itself. But then she's told by Mordecai, maybe your favor has brought you into the courts for such a time as this. You need to do something. So here's what she does. Uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes, stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Esther standing in the court, she could die. But he was pleased with her. And he held, held out to her the Harry Potter golden scepter that was in his hand. Uh, so Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Like, what a weird little thing. Like, the, what a, like this king is like, who, who puts these rules into place? Only jerksies. It's like, no one can come talk to me unless I wave this scepter, and then they touch the tip, and then they're okay. It's like, who, who what an idiot. Um, anyways, verse 3. 
When the king asked Esther, Esther, uh, what is it, Queen Esther? What do you request? Even up to half the kingdom will be given to you, which is a phrase throughout the Old Testament of like uh, someone in power saying, like, what do you want? I'll give you anything, even up to half of the kingdom. Even, uh, who is it in the New Testament? That's said in the New Testament of uh, the, anyways. Who is it? I, 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 it's funny, it's like a, it's, anyways. Verse four. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come uh, today to a banquet I've prepared. Like, cool, come to a party. He could do that. Uh, so the king says, bring Haman at once. Uh, and then verse 6, as they were drinking and eating at this banquet, the king says, okay, now what do you really want? What's your peti- petition, even up to half the kingdom? And at this banquet, here's a picture of the banquet. This is uh, by Rembrandt. So there's the king, there's Queen Esther, who is Jewish, but no one knows that she's Jewish because Mordecai said, keep that a secret. And then on the left, the, in the dark there, is the bad guy, Haman. And Haman is the one, if you're realizing the story here, he's the one that wants to kill all the Jews. And so Esther says this, my petition and my request is this, if the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king, grant this request. Uh, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. So uh, yeah, another banquet. So Esther is using some wisdom here. So instead of just asking, it's like, well, let me, you know, let's spend some time together. I haven't seen you in 30 days. Let's, let's have a banquet. And then it's like, well, what do you need? Well, let's have another banquet. Let's spend some more time together. And then, and then chapter 7. So skipping ahead to chapter 7, verse 1. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. This is like the second. This would, this would be the third banquet. And as they were drinking the wine on the second day, uh, the king asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you even up to half the kingdom. Verse 3. Then Esther said this, I have, if I have found favor with you, your majesty. So he's just kind of buttering up, up a little bit maybe. And if it pleases you, grant me life. He's like, what? Grant me my life? This is my petition. And to spare my people, this is my request. The king's like, what? Someone's going to kill you? Someone's going to kill all your people? What are you talking about? And then she says this, For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. Wow. If, and then she says this, If I were merely to be sold as a male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. So if we were all going to be sold into slavery, I wouldn't bother you, because, you know, what's slavery? Um, but since we're all going to be killed... Uh, this is why I'm coming to you. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, he's still putting it together, who is he? Where is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? (coughs) Right there. He's right there. An adversary, the enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified, obviously, before the king. And the king got up in rage and left his wine. This is the first time in the entire book that we see that he stopped drinking. Um, and then he goes out into the garden palace, and Haman was uh, still in there, realized that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just, listen to this, just as the king returned from the palace, the garden of the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. They were in some sort of weird position because it says this, as soon as the word left the king's mouth, uh, wait, no, hold on. The king explains. So he goes in and sees Haman like begging Esther on the couch with her. And the king says this, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? So it's like, like, dude, you're done for. Um, 
As soon as the word left the king's mouth, uh, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, this great idea, one of the eunuchs attending the king says, a pole has been set to a height of 50 cubits. We talked about this last week. Stands by Haman's house. He had set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to the king. And the king said, impale him on it. So this, I mean, it's like this, uh, it's pretty uh, violent image, but an image no less of like, what, the, what this evil Haman intended for evil to kill Mordecai on, well, then the, t- the tables get turned, and then Haman is the one to be killed on it. Looking back, we're like, well, that was yet another mini miracle, God's hand of you know, punishing the true evil person here in this story and letting Mordecai live. So pretty powerful story here. Uh, the gist of chapter 8, I'll just say the gist, is that the ruling to kill all the Jews is undone. And then we get into uh, chapter 9, uh, and, and briefly saying this. Um, so the, 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 the Jews are not going to be killed on this day, the, this day of Purim. And we talked last week how Purim is now a, a festival amongst the Jews in, in late spring, uh, celebrating the day they were all going to be killed, but then they weren't going to be killed. And then actually the, the tables get turned so much, the Jewish people, they go out and they kill all the people that were going to kill them. Which is kind of, that's, gosh, this starts to get a little violent. I didn't know this was in the book of Esther. Maybe if all you've seen is the VeggieTale version, uh, you don't know that, that wow, that's, uh, that's a little intense. That escalated quickly. Um, and then it says this. Um, let's see. Let me get to the right verse. Verse 5. The Jews, the Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing them and destroying them. And they did what pleased, uh, they did what they pleased to those that they had hated. So all these people that were going to kill them, they get killed. So there is mayhem in the streets. Uh, and in the citadel of Susa, this is verse 6. So in the capital city, 500 men are killed. It goes on to say that all of Haman's sons, there was 10 of them. And it lists all 10 of them. They are killed. And the number in the citadel that was killed was like 500. And then the king says, like, all these people have been killed. 500 people and the 10 sons of Haman. And Haman, do the math. It's like 511 people are killed. In the, imagine if in Colorado Springs, 511 people were killed on one day in a horrible way. That would make news. That would bring everyone to tears. What a horrible situation. And then here's where we get into like a, a bit of an interesting dilemma with, the, with Esther, the character. And I'll give you a discussion question in a second. So it says this. All the Jews, I'm looking at verse 12. Uh, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and 10 sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What, uh, what they have done, they's kind of like, well, what else have they done in the rest of the providences? There's been so much killing. Now the king asks Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? It will be granted to you. So all these people have been killed. All these non-Jews that were going to kill the Jews, they have all been killed. What do you want, Esther? I'll give you anything else you want. And here's what she asked for. So I would say, here's here's kind of a... Uh, the other side of Esther, the, the flawed side of Esther. And she says this, If it pleases the king, Esther answered, Give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out the day's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's ten sons be impaled on poles. She could have asked for anything. She could have asked for peace and mercy and I don't know. But she asked for one more day of killing. That's not in the Veggie Tales version. Um, 
That's the, that's the dark side of this book, I think, from a New Testament perspective of loving your enemies, that Esther, instead of asking for mercy, instead of asking for this all to be done away with, she asked for another day of killing, and she asked for the bodies of Haman's sons to be impaled so that they could be humiliated and their families can be humiliated instead of giving them a burial. It's like, let's let this humiliation and this death continue. So a very short question for you, just for time's sake. Um, although we could probably spend a whole nother Sunday talking about this. But what uh, are your thoughts about Esther asking for more death? Maybe you've never seen this in the book of Esther, and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that. That's interesting. It's kind of a flaw to this character of Esther. So what do you think about that? Just kind of some general reactions, and then we'll conclude the morning. So ready, get set, discuss. All right. Um, I probably interrupted you. Is this a pretty powerful thing to begin to discuss? I talked to a couple tables. One table said, well, maybe the power went to her head. Maybe this hate towards her enemies was, was too much, and she just wanted that killing. She's speaking for herself now. Um, but this is, my thoughts about it are something we talked about a couple weeks ago when I put up this prescription versus description. Um, and this is, if you, if you haven't read a lot of the Bible uh, you become a Christian, and then you start reading the Bible, and you read these stories like this. You're like, whoa, I thought Esther was this, this heroine of the story. I thought she was perfect. I thought she was highly favored from the Lord. And you read like, oh, she asked for one more day of genocide for these people? Like, that's not, that's not right. That's evil. That's horrible. Well, this would be an example of just a description. And we talked about a couple Sundays ago how there's many prescriptions in the Bible where God tells us to do something. And there's many descriptions in the Bible. It's like, well, this is just what happened. I think of other descriptions in the Bible. It would be like, like David and Bathsheba had an adulterous affair. Is that, a, is that what we're supposed to do? Because David is this man after God's own heart? No, no way. That was a sin, a horrible sin. That would be a description of what happened, not a prescription. Moses murders a man. That's not right. It's not good. It's looked at as a sin. That's a description of what happened, not a prescription. So we have to think through that as we you know, go through the Bible here and read stories like this and, and think about Esther. And if Esther, maybe you're, you've been named after Esther. Maybe so I was talking to somebody, her grandma's name is Esther, and she wanted extra credit, so she gets it. Um, but, but Esther's this great character, but she's flawed, just like David is flawed, just like Moses, flawed. Abraham, great man. Uh, the founder of the, the 12 tribes, a founder of the Jewish people. But he lies. He you know, gets caught in these lies about his wife. And so the characters in the Bible are very often favored and flawed. And as we conclude today, I just thought, um, thinking through our own life, we are flawed individuals. We are individuals in need of grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. It's only through him, his son's death on the cross, that we can begin to, to do anything good. Without him, there's, there's, uh, there's really nothing, not much we can do on our own. That There's no work we can do to perfect ourselves. It's only through him and his Christ's death on the cross that we become perfected. And so dealing seriously with our own favors, our own flaws in our life, and, and somehow being like Esther. And next week we'll talk about the Esther moments in our life. These moments where like, well, maybe this has all worked out for such a time as this. And here you've been favored and now you are called and you could either be flawed and go the wrong way or you can do what is right and do the Lord's will. And so I guess that's the word for today, to think about our own 
flaws, to think about our own favors. Because every single one of us are favored from the Lord. There's things that in each one of our lives was, oh, well, I might not be good at this. Well, they're better at this, and they're better at this, and so-and-so's better at this. But, but maybe you have a different gift. The Lord gives different gifts to different people, different favors to different people. Um, and maybe you're not queen, like Esther was, but maybe you have a lot of authority in different regions. Maybe it's spiritual authority. Maybe it's uh, the job you have. Maybe it's the school you're going to. Maybe it's the friends you have. You have favor in them, over them. And as we think about that, to not forget our flaws, that we are all flawed, that we are all, you know, we all can have enemies that we hate so much that we want to kill, just like Esther. I mean, Esther, we look at that and we're like, oh, Esther must have just been a really bad girl to want the genocide of her enemies. No, there's something in all of us that would call for that, that it's, Something inside of us called sin. It's something that needs to be overcome and needs to be forgiven by the blood of Christ. So that's the word for today. Let's pray. God, we so humbly come before you, and, and Lord, we, we want to lower ourselves, lower our ego. God, some of us are very favored. Some of us have um, lots of things we can bring to the table to serve you with, but sometimes we don't. We don't serve you when we should. And so, Lord, would you convict us today, this week, Lord, that we might serve you, that we might just come before you and say, God, we are nothing without you. We are very flawed individuals thinking highly of ourselves. until you come into the picture and you are able to cover us from our sins. You are able to make us whiter than snow. You are able to, to allow us to love our enemies, something that seems uh, impossible without you. So, Father, we praise you. We praise you for the story of Esther who she is, that we can learn from her, her favor, her flaws. God, you are a good God. We worship you. We praise you. And everybody said, Amen. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.